0: You're listening to The Week in Review. I'm Katie. I'm Anissa. And we're news editors for The Oberlin Review. Every week we take you through the stories we covered this
1: past week, give you a quick update on what's going on in Oberlin. So Katie, we've talked about the controversy behind the UAW union before recently, but I want to update people on it today because some stuff happened at the end of last week.
0: Right. And just to give a little bit of background for our listeners, February 18th, President Carmen Twilley-Ambar announced that the college is, quote, formally considering, end quote, outsourcing dining and custodial services. If the college ultimately chooses to outsource more than 100 union employees, so we're looking at 108 employees, could lose their jobs over the summer when their transition would occur on June 30th.
1: Yeah, and so that's about 70% of the United Automobile Workers Union that's on campus. And outsourcing those jobs to outside vendors could save the college, according to them, upwards of $2 million annually, according to President Ambar's message. This is part of a bigger trend of Oberlin administration seeking to respond to the structural deficit, budget deficit. According to senior administration, the college needs to cut around $17 million from its operating budget by 2025.
0: Yeah, that's quite a hefty number. And from just the conversations I've had with students and staff and alumni, people are very well aware of how large that number is. But that being said, a lot of people have criticized this action, calling it union busting. The Wednesday following that Tuesday email, you know, before GenFAC or general faculty, that meeting... Between 600 and 800 people filled the hallways of King to demonstrate outside of of the GenFAC meeting.
1: Yeah, so the update for this week is that on Thursday of this past week, more than 500 students, faculty, staff, and alumni gathered in Wilder Bowl. The crowd assembled was addressed by a bunch of different speakers, including the chair of Oberlin's UAW chapter, Eric Filler, and also some students and faculty After
0: they gathered there, they marched to the hotel, right, Katie? Yeah, the crowd was pretty riled up. Everyone had posters and were wearing Union red or UAW red. And people gathered in Wilder Bowl and then headed toward the the hotel. And really, we went past Carnegie Building um, because in the root room, that's where the trustees were having their dinner. But the student organizers, including members of Student Senate, had scheduled a meeting with the trustees to present this petition So they marched to the hotel, and I think that the crowd went up to about 500, a little bit more than that, in front of the hotel, and the student organizers went in. But what was interesting is that there were media and people besides people that were affiliated with Oberlin. We actually saw a couple of different people running for Congress. Jeffrey Seitz was there, a Democratic candidate, the campaign manager for Shannon Freshour, who's another congressional candidate for Ohio 4th District. So that was pretty interesting to, to see this, this sort of interaction between Oberlin College and the community, and then this broader, you know, regional crowd that was coming in just to show the support.
1: Once they marched to the hotel, part of the goal of that was to give the Board of Trustees this petition, which had been signed by over 4,400 alumni and students notably I think over a thousand students signed it which is over a third of our school so they brought it to the hotel to present it to part of the board of trustees
0: the members of the board so the couple of different representatives from the board told the the student organizers that they'll stand behind the college in their decision so we don't know yet if the college will actually go through with it right now it's strongly leaning toward yes but we'll definitely be covering that story as it unfolds over the next couple of weeks. So, Katie, another thing that we covered this week is the conservatory's new programs that they're launching in the fall. So, right. These are graduate programs, one- and two-year certificate programs in recording arts and production out of the conservatory. Why'd they want to start these programs? Like, why? Why now? So, Catherine McPhail, or one of our editors-in-chief, she covered this story, and she spoke to a couple different people. She talked to Andrew Tipp and Paul Ekas, who are the director and associate director of audio services. They sort of spearheaded the project, and they said that they were inspired by the AAPR process from last year and that they wanted to be more introspective about the different resources that are currently being underutilized at the conservatory.
1: And that was one of the official recommendations of the whole review process, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. And then the final one, Oberlin Report, the writers of the report wrote that Quote, to strengthen the conservatory brand and its ability to compete in the marketplace, we also recommend the college create postgraduate experiences that would add value and generate revenue. We have numerous programs to monetize existing resources outside of conventional four- or five-year degree programs, end quote. So who are these programs for?
1: Like, are they for conservatory students, undergrads at Oberlin who want to stay here for longer?
0: They could be, but I think they're also hoping to attract all sorts of different people, people looking to change careers, students that are older than typical grad students, students from other conservatories. For this upcoming year, they're planning to admit three students, and they think that the program will probably stay pretty small, probably eight students max. The other thing that was interesting to me
1: in reading Catherine's article was learning that Oberlin already offers a two-year Artist diploma in piano technology um, which is like kind of part of the inspiration for these programs
0: yeah and I think it just goes to show how flexible a liberal arts undergraduate college can be I think a lot of people really tend to focus on the undergraduate experience but I think that is a really interesting option going forward is is you know can we branch into graduate programs do we have the resources to do that do we have the potential to develop new revenue streams And I think people are more attracted to those options rather than, you know, the options that are cutting costs, such as, you know, the union jobs. So our last story today
1: was about coronavirus and how it's impacting students studying abroad.
0: And you wrote that story, Katie. I did, but I'd love to hear you talk about it a little bit. I feel like coronavirus is something, or COVID-19, it's really interesting to read about, to write about. But I think there is a lot of misinformation out there. So I want to hear what you have learned from my article. Yeah, um, I loved your article. So
1: my understanding is that basically some of the Oberlin students who are abroad right now are being sent home because the places that they're in are having outbreaks of this novel type of coronavirus, which, of course, you know, we're all hearing about internationally. So far, six programs that involve Oberlin students have have made the decision to suspend the in-country portions of their programs and that'll affect 12 Oberlin students. And Oberlin's administration didn't make these decisions, the actual organizations on the ground in China, North Korea, Italy, and France
0: made those decisions. And I think one of the more interesting aspects of this article was thinking about what's next, not only for like how will these students finish their semesters, but I'm curious how this will affect their academic trajectories and the director of international programs and study away mike rinaldi as well as liz clerkin in the office of the registrar really emphasize that they're going to work with students and and essentially have them finish on time so like doing some different novel things such as second module courses or online courses but when i talked to someone that worked in student health they were more hesitant over the idea of Oberlin students coming back to campus because of current CDC regulations or recommendations that people stay in quarantine when they get back to the U.S. or just the idea that he didn't want people coming into Ohio. We haven't seen any Ohio confirmed cases of COVID-19 yet, and I think there's a fear around that. But This week, we had the Board of Trustees come to town, and they were coming from all different locations on airplanes. Who knows if they're bringing something to campus, or spring break is going to happen soon, so people are going to be flying in and out, or leaving Oberlin and coming back. So I think at the end of the day, we have to remind ourselves to say, you know, we have to be prepared, and we have to be realistic, but we also have to not be alarmist about this, and I think that's one of the best things about being a journalist, especially on this campus you get to be informed and you, you get to know. And I think through writing this article, I got a better sense of, you know, the actual risk associated with COVID-19. And it sounds like in terms of the stuff on the ground with Oberlin, these
1: 12 students, and maybe more eventually who are being affected, who are, who are studying abroad, like it seems like a lot of it will have to be handled on a case-by-case basis, just in terms of they'll be able to come back to campus, how their, their academic trajectory will work.
0: Right. And one more thing too, Oberlin is taking kind of a interesting stance. Their strategy, compared to some other universities, I've, I've noticed, is a lot more lax. I, I know the entire Ivy League, or not the entire Ivy League, at least Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania, just from friends I've heard this, that graduation may be canceled. Study away programs were canceled or suspended a lot of different schools on the school's account, not not on like the affiliated programs decision. And Oberlin really hasn't taken that stance yet, maybe because we have no confirmed cases in Ohio. But to me, the difference of like, oh, we're canceling graduation to we've put up hand sanitizer stations and, di- and dining rooms and residential areas. That's a great big disparity. So I'm wondering how that will develop over the next couple of weeks. Thanks so much for listening. Our episode today was produced by Ella Murray. Uh,
1: my name is Anissa. And I'm Katie. Now back to the weekly.